Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid Podcast. This is your host, Kian Sobani, on a Sunday night. Um, a full, oh, like, I feels like it's almost been 48 hours since we played against Abar. That's how long it, it, ago it was in that early Saturday morning game. Uh, and joining me to help break it down after the fact is Matt Wiltsey of Managing Madrid. How are you doing, Matt? Doing well, Kian. Happy to be on once again. Um, Looking forward to breaking this down. It was, like you said, an early morning kickoff, so it has felt like almost a full 48 hours since the game. Um, it it feels like an, like aeons ago. I don't, I, I don't know. what it, It's it's really just the fact that we had to wake up Saturday morning, and it felt like... Um, it really felt like one of those classic Champions League hang, hangover games where not only you you're coming off of this huge win in the Champions League... Um, and you're just drunk off life, and then to to take it to another level, you're you're also waking up Saturday morning. Not them, not the players are are not waking up that early because it's in the Spanish time zone. It's I think it was uh, I think it was one o'clock uh, CET if I'm not wrong. Uh, a bit earlier yeah, for those so. of us in North America, really early for those uh, who are in California and, and those guys out west. But um, Definitely some lethargy to start this game. Not not very sharp from Zidane's men. Um, Abar, I thought like there are a lot of games where Real Madrid will just underperform their expected goals this season. This really wasn't one of them. This was one of those grind out games. Uh, Abar won as close um, to Real Madrid as they they possibly could without getting a result. Like this was a very very tight victory. Yeah, I mean. Honestly, Abar should be praised endlessly. What they have done with their resources, and I know you and uh, Ewan talked about it on the pre, uh, pre-game podcast, but what they've done with their resources, the way they, they just have a style and they stick to that style and they are so effective with that style. They're direct, they press high, put you under pressure, spread the ball out to the wings and then whip in great crosses. And so as always, I was just so impressed with Ibar. And they, first 20 minutes, Madrid couldn't even get out of their half. I mean, we were just, Ibar were all over us. It was, it was, it was astounding. Um, we couldn't, we couldn't complete passes. It was, we were all over the place. Like you said, a little bit of a Champions League hangover. And um, I think what's, what's nice about this match, probably different from earlier in the season though, is we did find a way to win. And, um, I don't know about you, but as the game started to wear on, 
yes, uh, I think Zidane's substitutions were on point. I think Lucas Vazquez and Karim Benzema helped change the game, helped change the dynamic, give Madrid a little bit, um, helped apply more pressure to put more pressure on Ibar, and we started uh, creating more chances, but. As the game wore on, it, I was getting a little nervous saying to myself, oh, man, I hope this isn't another one of those games where we just get a, another board draw. We just don't find a way. But today or on Saturday, we found a way to win. And that's I think that's encouraging for Madrid fans because earlier in the season, we couldn't grind out these results. Um, to build on your – yeah, it did, it did feel that way. It did feel like – it, it was going to be one of those one and four, one and five games where you just drop points in, in the league table, which has kind of been the trend this season. Um, like especially like since Jan- since December, I guess we we went through that seven one depot, and then we beat we had beat Sevilla just before that a few games prior. Then we were we had crashed down from El Clasico. We drew at Balaidos. Then we had a good run, and then we drew away to Levante, and, and it just felt like this was going to be one of those banana peels, and we grinded it out. To build on your point about Abar, I think this is, um, so th- what they've done really is remarkable, and I'm sure a lot of you have already listened to this po- the podcast with Ewan, who knows Abar just as well as anyone, and, and kind of discuss this and, and, and why they've been able to use their resources. It also just astounding to see their depth, where they didn't have Ivan Alejo and they didn't have Orellana, who is one of their newer incoming loanees who was injured or suspended. I can't remember which one. Um, and and without either of those two, who are basically their main two offensive instigators, they were able to still put together a decent performance here, really good performance and. Pedro Leon just sliding back into the team after a long-term injury. Came off the bench a couple times, and now he was starting this game for the first time in a long, long time. I think it was the first time since last season. Um, he he provided a bit of a creative spark. And I think one of the, the worrying things about me that I took away from this game was not the fact that we were just so lethargic offensively. A lot of misplaced passes, like you mentioned. Defensively, I also thought we were just sleeping. And... It was way too easy for someone like John Jordan, who who played through the middle, to to just get in behind our lines and and create and and successfully dribble past multiple players. There was there was just a lack of vertical compactness defensively, and I think if the thing with Abar, as much as praise we can give them, both this game and the game where they came to the Bernabeu earlier this season. They lacked efficiency in the final third, and I think because of that, Real Madrid dodged bullets, like multiple bullets against them over two legs. In the first leg at the Bernabeu, um, they had they were relying on Charles, who started that game, just had a, had a complete stinker of a game, and Inui was uncharacteristic on himself. And then in this game, they got they got themselves into good positions, and if they had better finishers out there, I think Real Madrid either draw this game or lose this game because there was one for sure there was Inui who was in on goal I don't remember who the second one has a real clear-cut chance towards the end and Kaylor just doesn't get tested and I think if any team is is better in front of goal to face this hangover I think it's it's much different yeah no I agree and I think one thing I was interested by tactically was Zidane's decision to roll out the 
diamond once again um, because I mean anybody watching Ibar knows that they rely on the wings and that's that's where they that's where they get a lot of their offensive output um, and so we were going to pack the midfield four but kind of leave the wings open um, and let Marcelo and Carvajal deal with that and that did not play to our strengths it played to their strengths and I feel like I feel like Zidane almost wanted to say hey, I'm going to give Isco and Bale another chance out here. I'm going to give them with the starting 11. I I want to believe that, hey, if all my guys are back on form, we've got this confidence boost, I can roll out my diamond and see how it perform. And it should see if it will perform this time out. And I, he, It's incredible how much he persists with it. Um, because I, I, I thought this, at least against Ibar, Tactically, that was not the right move. What What are your thoughts on that? Um, to To your point about the the flanks, first of all, the the Abar is the only team in La Liga who averaged more crosses per game than Real Madrid, um, and that definitely was true heading into this game, and it's definitely true after this game because they outcrossed Real Madrid 30, 35 to seventeen, um, <sighs> and this is their bread and butter. It's basically Get the ball out wide to either Inui or Ivan Alejo, who didn't play this game, and just cross it into behemoths like Kike and Sergi Enrique and, and just see what happens. Or in this game, in this case, Ivan Ramis uh, off a set piece who completely just lost Sergio Ramos in the box. Um, yeah, I I think it, it's almost like Zidane will take this diamond and if you, I feel I feel like five years from now he's gonna like play this diamond and he's gonna be like I'm gonna die on this hill this is gonna work <laughs> I'm gonna prove it to you it's it's not it's not outdated um, I don't I don't know I don't have a single note on Isco and I don't think that's a good thing he was he just wasn't I don't know what he did in this game and I the the thing with Bale too is that we we just rip our hair out when he plays up front in a four four two. And it's it's not him. He's isolated. He has fewer touches in the ball. He he's he's not able to influence the game as much as he should. Um, now, having said that, he did have a couple really great passes in this game. One of them, which nine times out of ten would have been an assist if Ronaldo scores it, and maybe we're seeing a different tune and saying, "Oh, great! Look how efficient Bale is in this game." But I just I don't know I don't know what the obsession is with. With having Bale in this role, I don't know why Zidane doesn't learn from things. When we were all so happy after that game against Alaves, where he played in the left wing, dribbled past players eight times, um, had a bunch of key passes, had a goal. So I, I don't, I don't know what Zidane is thinking. I would also say that, um, again, I, I just don't know what Isco did. I, I don't have any notes on him. It's, it's bizarre. Yeah, it's it's East Coast form has definitely been concerning, and I think the other thing too is even when say he was coming off the bench last year, or even when he had his dips in form, at least you felt that like there was kind of, last year at least I felt there was a chip on his shoulder, there was this hunger, he really wanted it, um, he was tired of. The last four years being in and out of the team and then I felt like last year he's finally said all right that's enough I'm taking this and I'm running with it I know what I'm capable of and this year I, I, I mean he's for sure he's had some 
good games this year, but just as of late, I feel like his form has really dropped off, and I, I, I don't know what it is. He he really couldn't get involved in this game. He nothing, just nothing was working. Nothing pulled off, um, and it's it's concerning because we all know, we all saw what he's really capable of last year. Like, I mean, hands down, he was along with Ronaldo the reason, a huge reason why we were able to win both the La Liga and the Champions League. So Isco, it's it's a mystery, um, and it's really it's really concerning. Here's here's why I don't have any notes on Isco is because he only had forty seven touches in this game. The only starter who had less was um, Ronaldo, who doesn't need many touches to be an assassin, and the other one was Varane, who who left after twenty seven minutes. He just he just wasn't as prominent in this game um, as you think he would be because in in past games even if he's in the diamond and we're not we're not thrilled about his role in the team he usually at least pops up as an outlet constantly takes a lot of touches but even in this game he just he just wasn't there um, and I think that's what kind of like eventually what flipped the game and um, I'm I, it's hard to say whether this game would have been won or not if it wasn't for Zidane subbed, but you can't argue with the fact that when Lucas Vasquez came and Benzema came on, there was a bit of a different dimension. Um, and Lucas Vasquez was immediately, you could, he had a defined role. And I think that's, that's kind of pivotal in this, in um, when we're trying to figure out what Isco does. If you go, let's go back to the game against PSG in the first leg. I thought he was really good. And agreed. Pressing, unbelievable. Defensively, unbelievable. Um, he ran out of gas after an hour. Zidane made some subs, and Real Madrid just took off without him. But I, I think individually he was good, um, and I and I got I got it. I got why he was there. I I got what he was doing. But I just in this in a game like this, where to be fair, the whole team kind of just stinks. Um, apart from I thought Modric and and Ronaldo and and a couple others that stood out for me. I, he just wasn't there, and it it was it was hard to see what he was doing on the field. Yeah, I mean, it's the thing that another thing that kind of frustrates me from Zidane is that why hasn't he tried? And he used to do this. Why hasn't he played Isco as a like a pure center mid? Say we're playing a four three three, play him in Modric's position when you're giving Modric a rest. He's coming so deep. He's already kind of playing there, and. He's played there before against Sporting Gijon last year, and in most of the quote-unquote B-team games last year, Isco played as a center mid, um, and he's more than capable of playing that role. He plays it well. Um, I mean, we through the Ancelotti years, that's where he kind of developed his the defensive side of his game. So he can play there. He can play deeper. He doesn't have to be kind of shoehorned into this number 10, this attacking mid position. Um so that's I feel like if he was maybe given the opportunity to play there, um, we would see we would see more of Isco. It's it's similar with Bale. He's kind of being shoehorned into the striker position. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the issue is that if you want to play him deeper, then you can't field him with a defensive midfielder and two other central midfielders. Like Casemiro was playing very deep in this game um, and didn't really venture forward that much compared to previous games. It was very deep. You can check his heat map. Modric um, 
although he did have like that, if you remember in the first half, that crazy run in the le- from the left flank where he beat a couple people and cut inside and shot. Um, he was essentially playing again as like a right wing and right back, which we've seen all too too often in the last two seasons. Kroos on the left. So that leaves... And by the way, Bale really just hugging the left flank. He's basically a left winger, um, even though he's a four four two. It's like everything that Zidane scheme it, it basically gets shifted to the left, where you have a lot of touches from Marcelo, who's who's consistently the most prominent player in terms of how many times he touches the ball and how many times Real Madrid go through him. Um, and then Bale also hedges to the left, even though it's a four four two, and. And that leaves a lot of room on the right for basically Carvajal to make darting runs. And in this case, there was no other right winger. And then Isco floating. So the prominence on the left is a lot more. And Isco also mostly saying to the left. That's what I mean. It's not It's not symmetrical by any means. It doesn't have to be. But I. that's what Lucas Vazquez brought essentially when he came on was with on the right. Because before that, it was just Carvajal and Modric. And one of the things that we really like about the 4-3-3, for example, is that especially when Bale plays on the right, and it can be Asensio, it can be Lucas, it doesn't matter, but they, the idea is the same. When you have either of those players helping Carvajal on the right, you can actually push Modric, A, higher up the pitch, but also more centrally. And Isco's role is just is not clear to me. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with that. And what... When I was saying I, I would like to see Isco maybe play deeper, um, uh, that's in a four-three-three, or that's right. at least with three midfielders, not four center mids. Um, and I, I, I think having that higher option both on both wing, it just gives you another outlet. It just gives you another attacking option. It makes the makes the opposition's defense think they have. Now they have to deal with another attacking option and instead of it being Carvalho and Modric coming from deep trying to force their way up the flank you have someone who's potentially running in behind someone who's stretching that back line forcing them wide forcing the fullback to come wide creating gaps in between the center backs so it, it's yeah I mean I think we all we all know there's definitely some frustrating aspects to when we see Modric in this right back right mid role coming from deep trying to force his way up and then Everyone else kind of drift into the left. It's it's makes for hard viewing when you know what this team is capable of if they're put in the right spots. Interestingly enough, and I don't know how correlated it was because I I, I don't know exactly what minute this shifted and when the subs came in, but Modric, sorry, Carvajal and Marcelo really didn't enter the final third at all in this game until the last like twenty five to thirty minutes. And that's when Real Madrid started getting more and more chances. They, Mind you, they started actually conceding a lot of chances too. But offensively, when Real Madrid got it going was when those two finally started pushing up. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that Ibar made it difficult for them, especially in the first half. Like, they were just pinned back. They couldn't They couldn't get out. Um, but then, like you said, I think it, I think it did correlate with the change, uh, the change. Benzema and Lucas Vasquez change. I think when they came in, we were able to spread that defense out a bit, create more chances, and Marcelo and Carvajal gradually were able to push up. And obviously, we were we were hungry. There was a bit more urgency in our play. We were hungry for that winning goal. We didn't want to. We didn't want a, yet another draw. So 
uh, I think all those factors kind of played into it. Um, for what it's worth, Modric um, can do whatever he wants and whatever he's asked to do, and he does it. Like, I've written articles about this very thing before with Modric, is that he can play as a right winger, right midfielder type role and play it better than a traditional right winger has played it there his entire life. Like, in just that in one game. Like, it's his IQ is so high. He constantly, like, I imagine that anyone who plays on that flank with him, it he's so thankful of what Modric brings. Constant help, constant outlets, um, constant organization. I'm not saying that's his ideal role, but I'm just saying that's how good he is, is that you put him anywhere and he'll help you. Um, and I'm not sure, if, Matt, if there's any goal that kind of inc- encompasses what he is as a player than Ronaldo's goal where Modric intercepts the pass, reads it, and that pass is... It was so incredible um, to Ronaldo, and he he was a standout for me. Yeah, that that pass was a work of art. I mean, it was completely against the run of play. We got one opportunity, and we just Modric just worked his magic. And it's it's I wrote about this in the, the player ratings when I rated uh, Modric. I said it's unbelievable. A guy's been out for two to three weeks and hasn't lost any match rhythm whatsoever. It, it was like he never left. And he just was right in the flow of things. Was our one was our best one of, if not our best player on the field. And Zidane pretty much said the same thing after the game. He said he wanted to actually pull him out earlier, but he couldn't. And he was playing so well. He's fundamental to the side. And like you said, anyone who's playing with him is thankful. And Carvajal kind of kind of said that after the game as well. He said, um, "We're just we're just." It's a pleasure to have Modric in this team, and we just hope he can continue performing at this level for years to come. How did your uh, player ratings go this week? Any <laughs> opposition? What did you give uh, Isco? I, think I gave him a four. I was pretty yeah. harsh on Isco. I was pretty harsh. Um, I got a little opposition. Uh, some people thought I ra- I gave Modric a 9.5. I gave Ronaldo a 9.5. Some people thought that was too high, which I, I can understand, but... Um, I mean, I really thought they were the, the two stand. I mean, Ronaldo was crucial with his two goals, and then Modric was just a step above everyone else. Um, and then Isco, some thought that was harsh. And Sergio Ramos, I gave him a, I maybe gave him a harsher rating. I just, I didn't think, I thought at least in the, I was kind of basing it more off the first half where I thought he struggled to get into the game, struggled to kind of lead the side out of, and weather the storm. Um, he lost his man on that corner kick. So, and I think one one play in the first half early, he tried to control it with the outside of his foot, tried to get a little fancy, and he's inside his own six. And it's just that lack of Champions League concentration he brings. He doesn't bring that over to the, like you said, your tweet was hilarious when you said, uh, Zidane, quick Zidane, start playing the uh, Champions League anthem from your phone. Yeah, I, this is um, this is the really weird quirk about Ramos this season is um, his passing has been brutal. Like just he just can't make simple passes. Like overall, his passing accuracy is okay, but it's it's the the really obvious giveaways when he's unforced and the team can see the chance. It's been really really off 
um, even like we know how inconsistent he can be over the course of the season. It's been, even this part of his game has been really un- uncharacteristic this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was even he was incredible in Paris, and he usually is in big games. You mentioned the Ramis goal, so he Ivan Ram, Ramis makes a bunch of feints without the ball and ro- loses Ramos and peels away, and Casemiro's not really ex- expecting it, so. Ramis just slides him slides at home, and kudos to him. It was some good movement off the ball, and he 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 gets free and he scores. Did you know that Ramos disappeared for ten minutes, or did you only find out after the game? I, I didn't. I didn't notice. Yeah, I didn't neither. notice. I, I found out after the game. Yeah. Yeah. This is where football analysts were supposed to be looking. What's happening on the field? <laughs> I guess it's because like it's just so inconceivable that he would just leave like that, and we just weren't expecting <laughs> yeah. it. For anyone who doesn't have any idea what we're talking about, Ramos left the pitch for maybe how how long was it? Five I, minutes? I think it was ten, and, ten minutes altogether. Oh my god, ten yeah. minutes! And uh, apparently, Zidane said quite matter of factly after the game that Ramos had shat himself and had to go to the bathroom. So <laughs> that's where he went, and uh, he came back like nothing nothing happened. So and do you think is that that's is a, that obvious, too much that's information? A first for me. Would, if you were coach, would you say that, or would you just say he just had to go? I I don't know. I guess yeah. how how else would you say it? I think I would just say he had to go to the bath. I don't know if I would flat out say he shat himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. I maybe it's just a cultural thing. It's not a cultural yeah. thing. I don't know. It's <laughs> shitting himself is universal, I guess. Yeah. But I guess the the way he explained it was very very nonchalant. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Ramos. That could explain also some of the mayhem of on facing counterattacks too in late in the second yeah. half. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what else do you before we jump into questions? What else? Anything else you want to point out about this game? Um. No, I mean, I think we. I think Nacho deserves some credit. He. Uh, I thought he came in and didn't put a foot wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, when he came in for Varane, and it kind of went unnoticed, but he quietly just had a phenomenal game. Don't think he misplaced many passes, won all his aerial battles, won his tackles, and he just seamlessly fits into that back line no matter where he's called to play. And um, I, I just think we can't go. Uh, sometimes Nacho just goes under the radar, so I want to give him a little shout out as well. Well, he played. Uh, just over uh, just over an hour in this game, and he had the best passing accuracy on the team. Had the most tackles. He had five clearances. Um, yeah, I mean, just a just classic solid Nacho performance. You're right. Um, interesting enough, like Zidane usually like will say after the game, like his shtick has always kind of been, we played good, um, and we just got unlucky. And in this in this in the post match presser he was kind of singing a different tune which is actually nice to to kind of hear from him because he said uh he said the opponent was very superior um above all in the first 25 minutes we barely left our own half in the end we achieved a good result should be good for us we had difficulties with the ball um uh, we suffered we fought together we had character and we technically we made a lot of mistakes in our passing play out of the back um but we showed other things today, character, fight, and at 1-1 we went on and got a winner. So it's good to kind of hear like those things that we're kind of already talking about in the podcast is 
is things that Zidane all doesn't always um, answer things so directly and clear cut. Sometimes it's very political, but everything you said is true. Like, and I think we take it like given the circumstances, we hundred percent take three points here, no matter how it comes, because historically we know what it's like supporting a team that has so many Champions League hangovers and just needs to grind out a result, which they did. Yeah, no, I I agree. Okay, let's answer questions. Um, Patreon.com slash managing is where you go to get guaranteed responses to your questions. Um, You can pledge anywhere from a dollar to a hundred dollars and the rewards vary. One dollar will get you access to all of our shows, including the bonus content, the midweek shows. Three dollars gets you a follow back on Twitter. Five dollars gets you uh, a guaranteed response to your questions and and so forth. And you pledge a hundred dollars, which no one has had done yet. But if you pledge a hundred, you actually join the the podcast for an episode. So if you really, really, really hate us and you want to come on here and debate with us, give us a hundred bucks and we'll put you on. <laughs> and we'll even let you refund your money or or cancel next month's subscription after we're, we're done with you. Um, first patron question Blake Brown he says I don't know if you guys watched the B in sports broadcast of the game but when Bale took a shot and was blocked by the keeper and passed back to Ronaldo after the play Ronaldo made a motion with his hands the commentator said he was telling Bale to tell him he was passing back but that is not what it looked like to me it looked like he was telling the other players to keep talking um, just wait what do you guys think I don't think Bale had time to tell Ronaldo he was passing back um, I'm going to pass this on to you, Matt, because I honestly can't remember this instance on my feed. Yeah, so I, 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 I know what he's talking about. And I I think, first off, I think it's really hard to, to decipher what players are communicating with their hand gestures and things of that nature out in the field. But judging from that particular situation, I think Ronaldo was just looking for communication. He kind of did the... Uh, the uh, he moved his hands as if to say like talk talk to me talk to me someone tell me, and it looks it seems like to me he was just saying he was looking for communication from anyone not just Bale, uh, just any of his teammates to tell him man on someone's coming. Um, so I think that's that's basically what that play broke down to. Okay, debunked by Matt Wilsey. <laughs> Essa Hariri says exactly what you and McTeer predicted. Abar outplayed us. But we won 2-1. PSG should take notes from Abar on how to press. So my question is, is, is this Zidane starting 11 when everyone is healthy um, using Isco, Bale, Ronaldo, Trio? I'll let you have the first stab at this. I'd say no. Because if it was, we would have seen it in Paris. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I, I honestly have no idea what Zidane's no. starting 11 no is. No one knows. I think... I, I really think it depends on the opponent, and it depends. Not only does it depend on the opponent, but it depends. Like, say it's a two-legged affair, and like we saw, we beat PSG three-one. So if we, since we won three-one, we went in four-four-two Vasquez and Asensio. But say we lost one nothing, it probably would have been a completely different formation. So it, I think it depends on the circumstances. It depends on the match, and it depends on the opponent. So um, it's. I mean. It, I think it's a good thing that no one knows. It's hard, harder for other teams to scout us. I'm not sure. I mean, it, I'd be really, really interested to go deep into Zidane's brain to see what his thought process on this is because so many coaches we know and the most successful coaches in the world, a lot of them have an idea 
and they want to implement it game in, game out during the course of a season. With some rotations here and there and some makeshift lineups, of, of course. But, like, general, if, if you go and if, if, let's say, if Guardiola, um, Valverde, uh, Allegri, Pochettino, any of these guys, they go and if they went into a Champions League final, you can kind of, you can pretty much predict who the lineup was going to be. You can't do that with Zidane. You really can't. And and if, if you if you think you can and you're you're some kind of expert, I actually don't trust you because I don't think you actually know, and I don't think any of us know. And this is what's really fascinating about Zidane. He doesn't give precedence to match rhythm form. He doesn't really go into each game saying this is how we're going to dominate you and you can change your tactics to our formation. No, he kind of goes in and, and kind of changes his based on the opponent, which is interesting. And it's not something you see too much with elite football teams. You see it a lot in like reactionary and other sports. Like in NBA, it's very common. Matchup issues. We're going small. We're going big, blah, blah, blah. Um, you really, he doesn't do that. And I think it's really interesting that we actually don't know whether we're going to see Kovacic, Vasquez, Asensio, Bale, Isco, I think the only ones who we know are guaranteed are like the very the very spine of the team. Ronaldo, Modric, Kroos, Casemiro, Marcelo, Carvajal, Varane, Ramos, Kaylor. That leaves uh, two, three, two or three positions that we, we kind of just don't know. Yeah, and I think the other thing too is Zidane, it doesn't matter what your name is, Zidane will play who whatever he feels is best. Um, and he obviously showed that with both games against PSG, leaving Bale out on the bench both times. Um, and the other thing, too, is, and I know it seems he's a stickler for this, he will not risk you unless you, if you're not 100% or like 95%. Uh, he's done it with Bale before, but that's about it. I mean, even in the par- in, against Paris, he didn't he didn't risk Cruz and Modric. He, uh, he trusted the guy's. He trusted guys like Kovacic and Casemiro to get the job done, and he will. He won't risk players if they're not a hundred percent fit. This next question is from a patron, and I'm going to give you guys a warning. I have no clue how to pronounce this name, and I apologize in advance if I completely butcher it. But I'm going to try my best. Matt Wilsey, if you want to take a crack at it after I do, you, by all means, you're more than welcome. This question is from Adith. Yeah, Ven, Venkat Submaramian. I'm 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 really bad at this. Do you want to try? That would be ten times better than I could do. So go ahead. Um, I apologize. I think the the first part, the first name is much easier, Aditya. But if if I'm getting this wrong, please feel free to send me a message on Patreon and 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 chastise me. I'm I'm really sorry. Um, Aditya says Zidane did not start Bale in either leg against PSG. Is this simply a byproduct of him managing Bale's minutes carefully to avoid another injury to him? Or is the form of Vasquez and Asensio also a reason for this? There's like this, this has like, I'm going to basically just reply to this question with my own questions is does form really matter for Zidane? So yes, it's true. Vasquez and Asensio have been informed, but Bale was in form a lot too and he got benched immediately after so does it really matter and it is possible that Bale is on a minute restriction and it's kind of planned out but you would think you would think that his minute restriction would be 
he would get rested in the, with against a smaller team, so he could so he can be fresh and ready for the big teams. Um, but also, if he is on a minute restriction, it almost doesn't make sense because he looks fine out there. He doesn't look slow. He doesn't look off the mark. He doesn't look like he's out of shape by any means. What What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I fully agree. If it was minute restriction, I mean, Zidane's kind of been doing that already, and it, if anything, he's preparing the minutes for these types of games. So, I honestly think it's it's a whether Zidane wants it to be or not, it's a clear message to Bale, and it's a clear message to the team. And I think the strange thing is that Bale, at least in a deeper midfield role, has been phenomenal. So there isn't really a reason to drop him. But I think Zidane in doing this is saying the BBC are no longer untouchable. No one really is untouchable bar Cristiano. And maybe he's seeing something tactically from Bale that he, he he's not getting from Bale. And that's the only thing I can think of. But I'm not sure what that is because, I mean, even doing tactical reviews and kind of when Bale's in that deeper midfield role, I mean, we've all seen it. He plays phenomenally well and he does that defensive work as well so it's it's difficult to point out and pick what exactly um Bale may be doing wrong for Zidane or if there's who knows but um I I don't think it's a question of managing minutes I, I really don't you know what's interesting is that one argument you can make um is that like let's say the reason why Lucas Vasquez has been starting over him is because, um, and it's not like this has been happening every game, but it just it's fresh in our mind from Paris, is because he brings something new to the table and Zidane likes width, and Lucas Vasquez likes width, and and if you put Bale on the right flank instead of Lucas, Bale likes to cut in a lot. Um, and whereas Lucas really hugs the touchline and he's right-footed and Bale may not be catered to that kind of style of play. But I think that, I guess, the way that gets debunked is the fact that Bale is, it's not like, it's not like Bale is that different of a player to Lucas Vasquez or Asensio. Like, all three of these guys, although different stylistically, theoretically, they could play the same role as Lucas Vasquez where they kind of hug the touchline they play as a two-way winger, and they defend and they attack, and they cause problems for the opposition. And so it's not like one brings something completely different than the other in this scheme that you could say, oh, this is why, for example, Bale's not playing. I think the other important thing, Matt, is that fans and media, and I think they have complete justification in criticizing coach and players um, generally. I think one of the thing, the traps that we can fall into is we are not with the team every single day the way Zidane is. So we don't have that angle to look at. We don't know who's... Like the most we have access to in terms of training sessions are after the closed-door sessions where we get to see them kick the ball around a bit. But we're not in the actual training sessions. We We don't know what you know, what Zidane sees. We don't know who's buying in more than the other, who's performing more than the other, who's working harder more than the other. And I guess I guess it's possible that, you know, if we see that perspective of being with the team every single day, maybe our opinions are a bit different in terms of who should be playing and who shouldn't be. You know what I mean? I mean, you know this. You're a player. 
do you, didn't you ever have anyone in your team who's an absolute superstar rock star amazing player and for whatever reason your coach just gravitates towards other players yeah i mean absolutely and I, th- I think you're spot on i mean we don't see what's really going on day to day in the training field when they're analyzing video when they're meet team meeting everything like every little thing and like you said if coaches don't feel your bought in i'm I don't doubt that Zidane feels Lucas Vasquez and Marco Asensio are completely bought in or willing to sacrifice and do exactly what he's asking. Um, the thing I think it's hard for us on the other side, fans and pundits and and analysts to say, hey, well, it doesn't look like Bale's doing anything wrong, at least from what we've seen. So I think that's the tough that's the tough aspect of it. It doesn't seem like Bale's doing anything wrong, but we don't really know what's going on day to day. Um. I guess the other concern I have is this four four two. I it doesn't work. It works. It it just seems like Zidane kind of rotating three forwards for two positions in a four four two, and it's Bale, Ronaldo, and Benzema, and that's the other explanation I could come up with. And if that's the case, it can work. I it just. It's not the best use of Bale. But I feel like it's Zidane's way of compensating for not having an actual striker in the team. You have Bale, Ronaldo, and Benzema. Ronaldo's your your guaranteed starting unicorn. And then maybe Bale and Benzema can rotate for the second forward slot, which I'm not a fan of. But um, again, this. But it's not like he's not gone to the 4-3-3 at times as well with BBC. So. Yeah, and then the other question is too, I mean... We saw four four two, but Modric and Cruz were both not a hundred percent fit. Once they're back, I don't think Zidane's gonna um, take Casemiro out of the team. So maybe it is back to a four three three. In that case, who's who's playing then? Is it does Bale slot back into the lineup, or does Zidane go with Lucas or Marco? So hmm. that's that's another question. That's actually a really good point. If we we didn't have a healthy Modric and Cruz in the team, and if those two plus Casemiro are are sure starters in the Onsa de Gala. Then that leaves three positions, and in that case, we might not see we might not see the diamond in a big game. We might we might see Bale there instead with, with Ronaldo. So I mean, there is also that. I mean, these are all good problems to have. I guess this is we were complaining last season. We weren't complaining last season. We were complaining in the off season. This season, we don't have enough depth. We don't have enough depth. And then everything during the losing streak was this was the reason why we're underperforming is because we don't have depth. Uh, but then when the starters perform and all this, and then you start to see all the options he then has, that kind of goes to the side. So it's still a good problem to have. I mean, it would it would drive me nuts trying to trying to pick this team game in game out if I was the coach. But um, I mean, the other thing too we haven't talked too much about is Ronaldo's form it, i mean it's night and day compared yeah. to early in the season uh his goals are the difference honestly i mean yeah. yes we had games where we played well and some games where we were just atrocious but his his goal scoring form is unstoppable right now. i mean he might even catch up to Messi. it's not outlandish to say he could potentially win the pachichi no uh, how many I, goals is he six six goals back I he's think? got 18 right now i think Messi's at 25 yeah um so so yeah, it's not at the current rate he's going. I mean, he may get more. He might be if the longer we 
stay in the Champions League, he'll probably be rested more. But still, I mean, it's his his form in 2018 alone has just been unreal. You know what's weird is that we are 40 minutes plus into this podcast, and the best player of the game, which was Ronaldo, we didn't say his name once until now. And I I felt this way a lot last season with him, where he was just ripping teams apart and and basically just completely dominating everybody and going to another level and transcending everyone. You you record these podcasts and you write these reviews and you just don't know what to say about him. You, other than the fact that my God, he's just he's just fucking better than everybody. And it's just he he is the most intelligent off ball mover in the history of the game, in my opinion. If if his goals were that easy and everyone criticizes him, Tapnaldo, whatever, if it was that easy, every single player would have hundreds of goals like him. And no one can do it. No one has his instinct. No one has his movement and intelligence off the ball. And I, I just don't know what else to say about him in the post game, other than the, the fact that he's just an assassin. I, I don't know how else to dissect him. Like that's and it. every time you think, oh, maybe this is it. He's getting older. Maybe he's declining. He just does it again. He just comes back. He just scores yeah. ridiculous amounts of goals. He's beats up, breaks all these records. Like he just, he's thirty three now, and he's still doing it. It's unbelievable. Ryan Jones on Patreon says, this is a random question. How often do you guys run into other Madridistas in everyday life? I'm 30 years old and I've only met two other Madrid fans in my entire life. Wow. That's, 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 you need to find better circles, I guess. Two Madridistas, do you live in like the North Pole? That's, that's a shockingly small amount. Um, It's almost as if to be a soccer fan in America, you're obligated to support Barca. Interesting. When I was in college, you would at least get a few Arsenal fans. But ever since Ronaldinho was at his peak, I find myself constantly arguing with supposed Kulez, who I'm confident have no idea who Cryoff is. Let me know <laughs> if, if any of you can relate to this. Uh, I mean, I, I can't say I relate to it. Uh, I mean, I have I know plenty of Madridistas. I... Um, I mean, there are, I know plenty of Barca fans as well. I also, I think the thing I find in America, at least, um, and on the various teams I've been on, a lot of guys support, like, have an EPL team they support. I see, I know a lot of Arsenal fans. And it's just because it was a lot easier to watch EPL games here in America before you had to subscribe to Gold TV back in the day and you had to pay extra. So it was harder to watch. Uh, La Liga games and Spanish games uh, back back in the day. So people supported EPL teams first rather than La Liga just because they didn't have access to it. So once you ha- grow that affinity towards a team, I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna trade trade your passion and your fan for another team. So I think that's one thing I've seen in America at least. But I I do know plenty of Real Madrid fans. Um, growing up in Canada, it was. I it, it actually I can relate in the sense that growing up in Canada, um, especially in a smaller city, I not only was I the only Real Madrid fan, I was the only for sure Spanish football fan, and one of the rare football fans in general. Like everybody here, you know, played soccer, but it wasn't like none. No one actually watched it. Right. Um, we had this show called Soccer Saturday, which came on every Saturday. And it gave us the highlights in the previous week. 
So I actually wouldn't know if Real Madrid won their game until the week after. And this was around the time of uh, 1999-2000. So I remember the the Clasico where Raul shushed the Camp Nou. I actually watched extended highlights of that a week after, and I, I had no idea what happened that game for a week because we didn't even have internet, actually. Um, that's that's how way back and uh, <laughs> it was for us. And um, then, like, you know, as I got older, I actually went back and watched the full match of that game and, and various others that I only saw highlights of when I was a kid, which was really fun for me to do. But um, And then you had an influx of immigrants. Like Canada, there's like a bunch of immigrants now. Uh, same with the States and like a bunch of European countries too. There's a lot of immigrants. And with these immigrants come newer fans uh, who, who actually are Spanish football fans. A lot of them were Barca fans. And But, you know, I'd say I do do have my fair share of Maridistas who constantly text me throughout the game. But um, I don't know, two Madrid fans my entire life. I, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. It's, I, don't, I don't know if I've, uh, I've gotten that far into, you know, like being that isolated. Well, that's why he's got managing Madrid to make up for it. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and now you have your Patreon family. Um. Two more questions and we'll wrap it up. This one is from Sajid Riaz. He says, if we finish fourth, do we have to play a playoff to reach the Champions League group stage next season? Is there some kind of rule change that guarantees four teams into the Champions League from the big leagues without playoffs? I think this factor should determine whether we prioritize or deprioritize La Liga since we have a healthy 12-point gap to Sevilla in fifth place and Valencia just one point behind us in fourth. So you and I talked about this before. Uh, we started recording. This is a new rule change this season. We don't actually have to go through a, uh, that kind of summer qualifying phase. We we are, if we're fourth, we go into the group stages of the Champions League, which um, I guess helps. It doesn't hurt for sure. Yeah, no, I, I, it's a welcome change, and yeah. I, I mean, I'm as a Spanish football fan in general, I'm happy about it. There's no risk of um, our fourth place team going out of it. Never did I think we would be in this situation uh at the beginning of the season but i'm definitely not complaining about it now so yeah i mean i don't i'm well how does it change our priority though i don't i don't know if it does or not one way or the other oh it just means that we don't have to strive for second because we kind of have the top four anyway yeah i think i think uh sajid saying we won't if we were in jeopardy of fourth place and we would have to in the summer we'd have to play all those playoff games and that that would be something probably Zidane, the board, Real Madrid, everyone would be trying to avoid. So now yeah. there's not so much of a risk. And potentially less pressure to catch up to Atletico in second because bef- before the top two didn't have to play those playoff games. Um so you just don't if like let's say you're you have a big Champions League game right after a La Liga game, you can maybe feel more at ease resting in that La Liga game. Right. Um, last question. We're going to take an, a rare non-patron question. This one is from at ApexMaster1 on Twitter. He says, I'm concerned, excuse me, I'm concerned with the long loan of Martin Odegaard. I think he is our future best central midfielder after Modric. It makes a lot of sense to bring him back home. Um, that's a big Big, big ask of, of okay. Martin. Um, you saw his goal today? Yeah, I did. Beautiful. Beautiful, yep. Yeah. 
me, Om, and Lucas had a, a three-way group chat about him, and it got really heated. And I had to actually take a break and come back and <laughs> and formulate my thoughts and and post my rebuttal because there was there was Martin Odegaard slander happening in that in that chat room, and I wasn't I wasn't having any of it. I think I just think. It's amazing what our expectations are of him and what our perception of him is. He's a freaking teenager still. Like, it feels like he's been around forever and he's a 30-year-old failure, but he's not yeah. even, he hasn't even cracked the 20s yet. He's been phenomenal phenomenal in that league. He would be borderline leading the league in assists if his teammates could finish. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, the, the, the claim that he's going to be our future central best central midfielder after Modric is, is a massive claim. I don't even think he'll play that position anyway, but also Modric in my opinion is is the best central midfielder the club has ever seen. And um so I don't want to put that pressure on him. I don't know when is when what his timetable is, Matt. I think that he needs one more loan spell but this time at a be- in a better team. No, I uh first off I think Odegaard is a special, special talent. Uh, but I 100% agree. He definitely, he's not ready for the Madrid step yet. Um, at least one more loan spell. I wouldn't even be opposed to two, but we it all depends on how he progresses. Uh, you just got to take it year by year with a young player like him and a talent like him. And I'm sure we're going to talk about this more. I just recently uh, wrote an article kind of about all the quote-unquote wonder kids that Madrid have signed in the 21st century, anybody 20 years or younger that Madrid have signed. And it's interesting, when you look back, you see all these guys develop at different phases. And uh, it's it's going to be the same with Odegaard. You, we we all, as fans, we want to rush him. We want to believe, oh, he's ready. But it just you got to be patient. you got to trust that hopefully Madrid are doing the right thing. I feel like we have kind of done the right thing by him so far. And hopefully we get him into a quality La Liga side next next year. He gets plenty of minutes, and we take it from we take it from there. That's my hope. We're gonna do a separate podcast this week just about that article you wrote. But did you did you have to leave anyone out of your list uh, who actually met the criteria? So, or did you keep? So them the on? only person I think I I missed was uh, Javier Portillo. Okay. Everyone else I got from the at least from the 21st century, it was 20 years or younger that was signed um, or fully promoted to the official first team. So not not debut, but actually promoted um, and part of the first team squad. So Portillo would have technically qualified because he didn't. He, we didn't sign him, right? But he was promoted to the first team. So yeah, he when he was 20. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's the only one you you think you missed. Yep. Okay. Um. I'm going to do try to do a bunch of research and see if I can prove you find more people for you to include because I find this discussion fascinating. It's really interesting to look back. It is uh, like what eighteen years later. Yeah, it was it was a really fun article to write. I yeah. I loved like going back and and kind of going down memory lane. And so I'm we'll we'll go into detail later yeah. in the week, but it it was fun. Yeah. Okay. So third so basically our lineup looks like this. Um tomorrow morning Diego Lorin and I will be doing a Churrosi Tacticas podcast. Wednesday night Gabe and I will do a patron podcast and Thursday Matt and I will record about Real Madrid uh 
I guess youngsters. Yeah. Or or not youngsters anymore, but promising players. The title yep. of the article, go look at it, managementwinter.com. It's called Taking a Look Back, Real Madrid Wonder Kids of the 21st Century by Matt Wiltsey. was written three days ago and will we'll never not be relevant, so refer back to it anytime. Um, Matt Wiltsey, I think this was this is a good time to, to wrap it up. And uh, who do we got? We don't have any midweek games. I don't think. I think that leaves us until Girona next weekend. So until next podcast, um, Kian Sobani signing off. Thank you, Matt, for joining me. No problem. It was a pleasure as always. And Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid. All right, guys, before we let you go, um, I'm going to sign you off with one of my favorite parts of the show, believe it or not. I get to give you guys daps for all your amazing support. And without you guys, we're nothing. So... I want to give a shout out to all of our patrons, over 300 of you now, and specific shout out to these $10 patrons, because if you pledge $10 or more, your reward is you actually get a specific shout out on the podcast. So, shout out to Nick DeStefane, Frederick Sundros, Leon Stavernakis, Bjorn Salvador, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Sergio Monleon, Red Bat, Anthony Vasquez, Yahya Ibrahim, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Hatiri, Ian Marley, Dan Berthe, Jahan Watson, Anton Hackberg, Jimmy Obey, Daniel Smith, Solomon Ortiz, Solomon Ortiz, and Jeanette. I don't know why. This is the second week in a row where I where I read Solomon Ortiz and mispronounce it. I think it's because I'm just gassed by the time I read all these names out. At any rate, you guys are unbelievable, amazing, fantastic human beings, and we really, really love you. Uh, and I and I really mean that. Thank you so much for your support. Signing you guys off, Kian Sabani. Till next time, Halamari. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate.